You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So in 1959, a meteor crashed to earth in a small town out in the Midwest. A farmer discovers the meteor, and of course he does what any person would do. He pokes it with a stick. And when he does that, this blob-like creature comes out of the meteor. It clings to the stick. It climbs up the stick, and it attaches itself to the farmer's hand. Later, two teenagers, one that has a striking resemblance to Steve McQueen, discover this farmer blob on his hand. They take him to the doctor. They get him to the doctor, but it's too late. The blob has taken over the farmer. It's consumed the farmer. Soon the blob consumes the doctor. The whole town, Steve McQueen's trying to warn them and saying, hey, listen, you got to beware of the blob. And everybody's like, it's a blob. First off, they don't believe him, but they're like, it's slow. Like it kind of creeps around. Like I don't have to worry about the blob. But you turn your back on the blob and next thing you know, it's consumed you too. And it keeps growing and growing until it takes over a movie theater, until it takes over an entire diner. That is what happens in one of my favorite films, The Blob, which you can see how it got its name, which is a favorite film of mine, not because it's well-made or scary, but because the opposite. It is not well-made and it is not scary, but I love it all the same. And I think there's a, a message in this movie, believe it or not, of things that we need to beware of, of things that we need to watch out for, the things that are slow, the things that creep, the things that we think, oh, I don't have to worry about that. I can turn my back on that. And next thing you know, you're part of the blob, right? And that is our text. That is what Jesus is getting at in Mark chapter 8, where we are this morning. Jesus starts talking about being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware the teaching of the Pharisees. And so we're going to get to that. If you've got your Bible and you want to open it up to Mark chapter 8, that's where we'll be today. And if you've been with us for a while in this series, we're looking at another instance of what is known as a Markin sandwich, which we've seen this a few times in our study of the book of Mark. It's a place where Mark will put two similar instances kind of as bread around another happening, another conversation or another instance. And they'll all kind of be related somehow. And we are left as the readers to say, what do these have to do with one another? So in this one, we see at the end of Mark chapter 7, Jesus heals a deaf man, which a few weeks back, uh, Matt, Matt, I almost called him Mark. Matt talked about that a few weeks back of how Jesus healed this deaf man. Then we get chapter 8 and we see there's a blind man later on that gets healed. So we have the healing of a deaf man, the healing of a blind man, and then sandwiched in together is a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about seeing and hearing. So it seems clear that Mark is trying to get us to draw a conclusion between all three of these things. And so as we get into Mark chapter 8, this is what's going on. And I feel like I need to issue a bit of an apology because as I looked at this, I think I focused for this sermon on the most boring part of these verses in Mark chapter 8. I'm looking at the conversation of the disciples when there are three miracles in the span of 30 verses right here. Jesus heals a deaf guy. And then he feeds 4,000 people, and then he heals a blind guy. And as I was preparing for the sermon, I'm like, but we've talked about healings. We've seen the feeding of the 5,000 already. Like, we've heard that already. I want to focus in on something new. And then I realized that with Jesus, the miraculous has become common. 
which that alone preaches, right? With God, the extraordinary becomes ordinary to the point where I'm like, I've seen him feed a million people before. I've seen him heal people before. And I'm at risk for missing out how incredible that is, that a deaf man could hear for the first time, that a blind guy could see that Jesus feeds 4,000 people from some loaves of bread. So that's where the story starts out. So I'm going to kind of just summarize that part of the first 10 verses there. But Jesus is teaching 4,000 people. And the Bible tells us that he's been with them for three days. And it says that then, and I love this part right here. It says that Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd. So he says to his disciples, they're hungry. They've been with me. I feel for them. I have compassion for them. A lot of times I think we forget how compassionate Jesus was toward those in need. And so the disciples are looking around, they're like, well, how can we feed all of these people? All that we have is seven loaves of bread. And Jesus says, that'll do. And so, of course, Jesus breaks up the seven loaves of bread. He feeds 4,000 people with this. And then it says that afterward, the disciples collected seven basketfuls of bread, that they had so much left over. They have more left over than they started with. And Jesus does that. So then Jesus, it says later on in chapter 11, it says the Pharisees came. Jesus hops in a boat. He goes to a different place. It says, verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him, which that part's important. They're wanting to test Jesus. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. So these Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, prove to us that you're God. They're saying, give us some kind of sign to show us that you're from God. Which the crazy part is that Jesus has. I mean, he just fed 4,000 people. Earlier, he fed 5,000 people. He healed a deaf guy. He's been casting out demons. There has been sign after sign pointing that Jesus is from God. And yet they're still asking for more from him. They're still saying, we don't believe it. They're trying to trap Jesus and say, we don't think you are God. Prove it to us. And Jesus doesn't have any, anything to do with it. And so he hops back in the boat. He goes uh, to the other side. And then the disciples in the boat, it says in verse 14, now they, the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. Now this is hilarious, Right? I mean, just like a few verses ago, they had seven basketfuls of bread and now they didn't have a loaf of bread in the boat with them. And they're like, what's going on? Like, how, what happened to the bread in between? I have no idea. Like, I don't know how much time took place. I have a theory and the youth probably can guess my theory here. Uh, but there's one particular disciple that I think maybe just had a bit of an eating problem, uh, probably Thaddeus, you know, and has grown up, he was Thaddeus, Thaddeus. I think, not backed up by the Bible, I think that's what happened to the bread. So as the disciples are looking around and Jesus talking, they've forgotten to bring bread. Here it says that uh, Jesus continued and said, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And then the disciples are looking around and they're like, he's talking about bread. Like it's because we didn't bring bread. And I know Thaddeus is in the back of the boat. Like I don't know what happened to all the bread, right? But so here Jesus starts talking about the Pharisees and Herod. These were the authorities of the day. These were the voices of authority in their time, the religious leaders and then a political leader, Herod. And so the, the Pharisees, they wanted to establish or reestablish to restore the kingdom of Israel to what they felt was its rightful place, to the place that the Old Testament often prophesied about. 
Herod, of course, he just wanted to rule, right? He wanted to rule this earthly kingdom. He thought he was the authority over the people of Israel. And so then Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, which I'm no baker. I don't, I had to look up a lot about leaven and I still, I'll be honest, I don't get it because I think you can't even just be a baker. You got to be a scientist to understand this. But leaven is a kind of rising agent that you might put into bread or dough. Some of you that during quarantine maybe started working on like making your own bread, you know more about this than me. But leaven is what goes into the bread to make the bread rise, to make it puff up and get like nice and and soft. That's what leaven does. And it just takes a little bit of leaven in the dough, in the mix, in the ingredients. You just have a very little bit of leaven, then goes through all of the dough. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. It says, beware the leaven. Now, we know as, as people who've read the Bible that leaven carries a lot of significance in the Old Testament. As we see like the Israelites, when they're in slavery, when they're about to escape slavery from Egypt, God tells them to make bread without leaven because they didn't have time to wait for it to rise. So he says, make unleavened bread and carry that with you. And then the Israelites would celebrate that at Passover and at Passover, they would have this unleavened bread. And then after Passover, they would have what is called the feast of unleavened bread, where for seven days, they were supposed to have no leaven in anything that they ate. If they were gonna eat bread, they couldn't have leaven in it. If anything they did, no leaven. In fact, the Bible goes so far as instructing them to get rid of all of the leaven in their house. Take it out of your house. If you got a jar of it or whatever, take it out of your house. And it says anybody who is found with leaven in their house should be cut off from Israel. They should be cast out of the community because they have this leaven in their house during the time of this feast. And that feast was used as a reminder um, to to remind them what God did for them in Israel. And Exodus 13, 8 tells us this, as when your kids ask, why are we eating this weird diet? Like, why are we eating the weird bread? Why are we celebrating this and getting rid of the leaven in our house? It says, you shall tell your son that day, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Now that little reminder right there that comes at the end of instructing them about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a tradition arose from this that was probably practiced by the Pharisees that were talking to Jesus where they'd wear these little leather boxes on their forehead or maybe tied to their arm that would actually contain a bit of the text, a bit of the scriptures. And they call these phylacteries, which is a hard word to say and also for some reason to me sounds inappropriate. So don't think about it too much. But the Pharisees would wear these phylacteries on their foreheads. And so as Jesus talked to them, they are wearing the scripture on their head, but we realize that the scripture has not penetrated their hearts because all along the Old Testament foretold Jesus but they weren't able to hear it for some reason. And so Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees because a little bit of leaven will spread through, will take you over, right? Just like the blob, it will consume you. And their teaching is not of God. Their teaching needs to be removed from the community of Israel, just like leaven was to be taken out of somebody's house. So if you're a Jewish person, you don't want your teaching, your words to be compared to leaven. But this is what Jesus compares the voices of authority in their day to, is to leaven. And so then he's back in the boat with the disciples, right? And he's saying, he's talking to them, they've forgotten bread, and he begins discussing with them. It says, um, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? 
Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have you, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketful of, bro of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And honestly, I don't think they do. I think we have a picture here of first the Pharisees who don't understand what's going on with Jesus, but now his own followers don't understand what's going on with Jesus because they have been focused on the physical. But Jesus is referring to metaphorical and even spiritual things. Jesus starts talking about leaven. They think physical leaven, physical bread. It's because we don't have bread. But Jesus is talking about more. He's talking about what is going on spiritually, the tension with the teaching of the Pharisees and his teaching. He's talking about what's going on with their voice of authority versus the God's voice of authority. He's saying, beware of that. But they're focused on the physical when Jesus has come to establish the spiritual. He's come not to create an earthly kingdom like the Pharisees expected, but a heavenly kingdom. And the disciples miss it. So here is my question. And we can kind of laugh at the disciples, right? And be like, ah, oh, those doofuses, they forgot bread. They don't ever get what Jesus is talking about. But do we get it? Do we always get what Jesus is talking about? Or is it possible that often we don't have the ears to hear or the eyes to see? And that we need a healing, just like we see the physical healings of a deaf man and then later a blind man. We need a spiritual healing so that we can hear with spiritual ears and see with spiritual eyes so that the message of Christ can penetrate into our hearts. And I think if we, we look at this, it, it really connects a lot to what Connie Fox talked about last week, if you remember that. He had that cup, right? And he would shake it and say, man, when you shake this, what is inside is what will come out. So the question is, well, what should I be putting inside of that cup? How do I fill that cup with the right things so that when I get shaken, the right things come out? I think part of it is right here. We have to develop the ears to hear and the eyes to see. We have to learn how to listen to God and how to see God. So first off, we've got to beware the leaven, right? We're not worried so much about the leaven of the Pharisees, but what might be the voices in our lives, the voices of authority in our day that we listen to, that might have a teaching that is counter to the gospel, that is the opposite of what Jesus teaches. What might be those voices in our lives that we listen to? And how does that possibly, like the blob, begin to consume us so that we're all about that teaching? So that's, that teaching is all we know and what we go by. We've got to develop the ears to hear. We, uh, if you've been around, you've probably heard, we've got a new holiday. It was yesterday, Juneteenth, which I think is pretty cool because in my lifetime, as far as I remember, there's never been a new holiday. There's never been a new federal holiday. I've seen holidays disappear, right? You guys remember Johnny Appleseed Day? When I was a kid, like Johnny Appleseed Day, that was huge. I dressed up at school one time, pot on my head, was like handing out apples to teachers. We don't talk about Johnny Appleseed Day anymore. So lots of holidays have disappeared, but we finally got a new federal holiday that we can celebrate. And, and I like it, I like what it celebrates, the, the freeing of the slaves or the message of freedom, finally making it to these slaves in Texas so that they could hear about Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. I also kind of nerd out about the Civil War 
being Father's Day, there may be some of you in the audience that understand that, right? When we had our first child, like just immediately, I was like, I think I need to read up on the Civil War. I don't know what it is about being a dad and wanting to care about the Civil War, but I did. And so I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to the Civil War. I've read a lot about that time period. It fascinates me. But we have this group of people in, in Texas, in Galveston, Texas, that time has passed, the Civil War is over, and yet the message that slavery has been eradicated in our country has not yet gotten to them. But you have to imagine that there's some people there that know, possibly the people in authority that are trying to keep the slaves enslaved. Maybe it's a mayor. We don't know. I imagine a mayor, for some reason in my brain, probably has a top hat because all mayors should have a top hat. And so he's trying to keep this message that slavery has been, has been banned in the United States. He's trying to keep it quiet. Now imagine if in Juneteenth, we know that really the story is that this general from the Union Army came in to Texas and, and let them know this kind of, uh, probably some force was maybe involved. I don't know. But we know it's like a general came. Well, imagine if on that June 19th, instead of some general, Abraham Lincoln walked into town. The guy who made the Emancipation Proclamation. And he's looking around. He's like, why are there still slaves here? And he's like, you guys know that slavery is gone. I mean, what if in that moment the mayor was like, no, it's not. And he's there in like his shorter top hat. Abraham Lincoln has walked in in the stovepipe hat, right? And Abe Lincoln is like, it's emancipated. I made the proclamation. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the mayor, the, the authority over your town, or the authority over the country? The horse's mouth. And then if we took my weird analogy, like my weird thought experiment even further, the fact that Abraham Lincoln was shot and dead for two months by the time Juneteenth happened, you'd really listen to Abraham Lincoln, right? Because now he's back from the dead. And you're like, I guess slavery is done. And I think that whole thing is probably stretching this analogy too far. Like I'm not trying to compare Abe Lincoln to the resurrected Christ, but you see what I'm getting to. He's got the real authority. The other people didn't have that authority. And yet they'd press their authority on others to keep them enslaved to keep them buying into this lie. That can happen in our lives, depending on the voices we let have authority in our lives. Are we gonna let the voice of authority be whatever is on social media or spoken on the news or by our family or our friends, or will we let the voice of authority be our creator? Because the Bible tells us that as a Christian, if you've given your sins and your life over to Jesus, you have a direct line to the president's desk. You can pray to him. You can read his word. And beyond that, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So through that, we should be able to have the ears to hear the voice of our creator and silence the lies around us. Silence the leaven and the false teaching that may be around us. So if we want to fill that cup with the right thing, we want to make sure that God's word is penetrating our hearts and not just our heads. First, we have to beware the leaven. We've got to be careful of false teaching that might be around us, even if it's from someone who might be authority. And I'm talking about myself here, not like because I'm some big authority on stage, but I'm saying you should go to your Bible instead of just hearing it from me. And don't just read the Bible because it can sometimes be taken out of context. History shows us that as well, but also pray through it. Pray to your creator and ask him to speak to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you so that you hear the voice of your creator and not the voice of creation around you. We see in, uh, in, in the next part here with the disciples. So the Pharisees really are struggling to have the ears to hear. The disciples, I think they're struggling to have the eyes to see. Again, they're focused on the physical. 
They're looking for this earthly kingdom that is coming. They can't get past this idea that Jesus has come to be an earthly king. And we see that here and in several other places in the story of Jesus. They have grown obsessed with this idea of an earthly kingdom, which is something that can happen to us, right? We can get too focused on building our earthly kingdom. We can get too focused on our job, our property, our, our retirement plan, what it is we're chasing after here on earth, the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive, the empire that we think we need to build. We can get too focused on this earthly kingdom. I think sometimes that happens because we've bought into too much of the wrong teaching. And a little bit of leaven has gone a long way in our lives. And so now we're chasing after the wrong things because all we are looking for is what happens here on earth in our lives. But Jesus came to tell us that there is more beyond our life on earth, that there's a life with him in eternity, in the new heaven, in the new earth, a life that he gave his up for, a life that he died on the cross so that our life could be with him, our sins could be forgiven, and we could have a relationship with him. That's what Jesus came for, but then we often get focused on our earthly stuff, right? What's this? I want this vacation. Like my friends got that vacation. I wish I could have that vacation. We get focused on that temporary. Which 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to guide us away from that. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we have to develop the ears to hear and the eyes to see. So this conversation with the disciples about seeing but not, or uh, having eyes but not seeing, having ears but not hearing, is in between, sandwiched in between this healing of a man who couldn't hear. And now we get to the story of a blind man. It says in verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, which is just a whole thing, right? He'd spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I have a lot of questions. How does he know what trees look like, right? He's been blind. And then they look like they're walking. But then also, this is the only time that I'm aware of that we really see Jesus perform a miracle in stages. At first, he, he does this. And usually it's just immediately the person like jumps up from the ground and they're walking. But here, it's like it's done in stages. And so he doesn't see quite clearly. You can't call him blind anymore, but he doesn't see quite clearly. Clearly. And then Jesus says, he lays his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and it says that his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he said to him, he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village, which is a whole other thing. But I think we're forced to ask this question, why is this kind of a two-stage healing? And there's been a lot of debate and arguments about it. Some people say like, maybe Jesus, you know, did this intentionally. Did he have enough power? Like if he didn't have enough power, like is he the son of God? All of this gets balled up in this. One part of this conversation that I like, according to many scholars, they think that this is directly intentional by Jesus and also placed in correspondence by Mark with that conversation he just had with the disciples to represent sort of the two steps of faith, the step of, of seeing or the step of hearing and of seeing, the step of salvation and then sanctification. 
because we know salvation is immediate, right? We give our lives to Christ. If we die in that moment, we get to be with him for eternity. In that moment that you give your life to Jesus, all your sins, past, present, future are gone. But that shouldn't be the end of our story. We should continue to grow in him. We should continue to read his word, try and hear his voice, see what he is doing in our lives, what he wants from us and begin modeling our lives after him. And that's the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. So a lot of people think this is what Jesus is showing. The guy was no longer blind, right? That's us when we give our lives to Jesus. We're saved, but the process isn't over. There's still things we need to do, like getting rid of the leaven in our house, getting rid of the things of this world that distract us from Jesus, getting our eyes off of the physical and onto the spiritual which is a process. And so here's what I want to point out is that Jesus was willing to walk through that process. With the blind guy, he didn't give up. Be like, well, it's messed up then. I guess you can only see tree people forever. No, he has the patience to continue the healing and make sure that the guy does become whole, that his sight is fully restored. The disciples, when they're not getting what Jesus is talking about, he's not like, that's it, out of the boat, like get. Like, I know you can't walk on water, but, or maybe like he would have just, that's it guys, and walk on water away from them, right? He doesn't do that. We see him have patience with his followers, just as he has patience with us to mess it up, to sometimes hear the wrong voices and begin following those, but then try and come back to him. This is the process that we find ourselves in as Christians. And so I guess my challenge out of this passage for us would be to beware the leaven, beware of whatever false teachings might have crept up into our lives, and to be sure that we are constantly trying to emulate our lives after Jesus by diving into his word, but not just reading his word, praying to him, allowing him to speak to us so that we can become more and more like him. Like Paul again says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is at the end of his big love passage And here he says in verse eight, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I think he's talking about Jesus. When Jesus, the perfect one, comes back, returns to our earth, the partial, the unfinished will die away. And then he goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We have a Savior who is not satisfied to leave us deaf or blind. We have a savior who is not satisfied with us only seeing the earthly. He wanted us to see the heavenly. He wasn't satisfied with us just dying on this earth. He wanted a relationship with us that could continue into eternity. And so now we have a part of that. And we work to see more clearly by seeing more of Jesus through diving into his word and praying to him. But one day he will return. And we will be made like him because we will get to see him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the healing that we see in the blind man and the deaf man. We thank you, God, for the the sometimes just outright stupidity of the disciples 
to help us realize that sometimes we are the same way. And God, I pray this morning that you'd help us to identify any voices in our lives that are lies, that are contrary to your word. God, help us to see what that voice might be and remove that from our lives so that we can have the ears to hear you and only you. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to remove the distractions of our physical world so that we can see you in your spiritual, your heavenly kingdom. So God, our prayer this morning is that you would give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see. And through that, we could become more like you, our creator and our savior. It's in Jesus' name I pray.